Hi, I'm Diego Moyano, and you listen to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molle, your host. This week, I speak to Diego Moyana. Diego is the current coach of Kevin Anderson, as well as also currently working with Sloan Stevens and Isla Tomjanovic. Diego is a former world number one junior under 14, and we chat about his challenges he faced moving his game forward from that young age. We chat about his role as the lead national coach in the USTA, where he worked with all the US top juniors. Names such as Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, Tommy Paul and many more. He worked with them all. And then we finish off chatting about his current job working with Kevin Anderson as well as his academy in Boca Raton. As usual, shout out to our podcast sponsor Slinger who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the info on the Slinger Bag or check out their Instagram account at slingerbag. Or if you have any burning questions, feel free to reach out to me. I use mine weekly and should have all the answers for you. Okay, here's Diego. Diego, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'm like really, uh, really excited to talk about tennis, and and thanks for again for having me. I know I know that I sometimes it's not it's not easy to to find a, a like a time, but but finally we are here. Every week I deal with tennis players or coaches, so we're at episode 100 and over 115 now. So I definitely know what it's like every week trying to arrange a call or some weeks you can't even get anybody other weeks we have players and then we've loads none and changes but no it's totally acceptable so thanks for jumping on so this will air in a few weeks after the US Open but you must have been at the US last week you're settled back into to life at home where are you based in Florida? I'm in Boca Raton I'm in Boca Raton. I've been I've been here for almost seven years before moving to Orlando with the USTA. We moved to Orlando for three years, and then I decided to uh, part ways and uh, do my own. Uh, go back to private. Be- before the USTA, I was on the on the private sector, and after USTA, I decided to go private again, and I I'm back in Boca Raton. Nice. It's the home of tennis over there. Is yes. There's a lot of tennis here. Yes, yes. So I'm. Uh, I like. I like the. It's pretty hot, but we play outside all, all year round, and uh, and there's a lot of players. There's a lot of tennis here. Yeah, it's amazing. No matter the age, whether the young kids or old people. I know some people from Ireland. They have a home in over there, and they go over to play tennis in the winter, and they just they just play for fun. They're not professional players. They just absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the main thing here. I mean, you play all year round. On uh, the the summer is pretty tough. You you go over one uh, one ten wow. hundred ten degrees every day, but uh, but after that, September, October, November, December, you you playing outside. You playing. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty good. Is is that why a lot of the players come over there to do some training because the heat's hot? So you know they're ready to play anywhere then. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. Basically, one thing that uh, you see many players here is because you're playing outside. So that's that's one thing. No, it's, it's real. The, the circuit in general, except some indoor tournaments, you're playing outside. So so that's one. Uh, and the, the second thing is uh, before, for example, before the American summer or before Australia, you look in places where, where it's hot 
because when you before going to Australia, the preseason has to be on a kind of on a warm weather. Otherwise, you come into Melbourne and and again you are at 90, 100 degrees over there. And same with the American summer, uh, preparing the U.S. Open. Every tournament is like under those conditions as well. Yeah, no, I can see. And look, we've seen players collapsing lately, especially younger players are cramping a lot. And so I think that preparation is really important. But let's jump back to your tennis. Tell me a bit about your tennis career. How's that? You reached about 140 in the world, but how did that go? Um, so yeah, my best ranking was 130. So at 14, I was number one in the world at uh, 14 years old. Then... I started changing a couple, couple of things on my game. My parents got, got in bankrupt in Argentina. So I had one way to go was uh, my coach said, the, the only way if you want to continue tennis is to go to Europe and establish yourself in France where there's a very big money tournament circuit and start paying your bills. So 14 years old, that's what I did. I took a flight. Uh, the la- with the last money that that my parent could could like help me and boom uh, I went to France so that's why it's important in my career because uh, as I say as a coach um, I, I am a combination of the French uh, school the American school and the Latin Argentinian Spanish school so that's that's what I, I am as a coach so what takes takes a, like the technicality of the French school, all the food work of the Latin school, and all the aggression, serve, return, and and volleys of the American school. So I that's what I did. I went there. I did all my career from from France, um, and so I started I started moving up in ranking. I I got like. Almost ten years between hundred and two hundred. I couldn't. I couldn't get the the last jump. I made some some uh, mistakes on, in terms of my my periodization. That some some of the mistake I could could resolve. Some others they were due to uh, a lack of uh, resources to do the right thing. And I was like around one fourteen dollars as well. Then in uh, February two thousand five, I got a big problem on my low back. So I got like completely blocked. I didn't know what, what was happening three three months without walking after the ATP tour in Buenos Aires until they found a lot of things on my low back uh, due to the overuse uh, back on the days. I used to uh, I used to train really hard a lot. And um, so basically I tried that year, 2005. I tried my best to see how I could continue. I didn't want to stop. I wanted to continue. It didn't work. By September, my my back was was getting uh, logged every every other week, and so in September I said, "Well, uh, I'm gonna stop." And uh, that's I stopped in September 2005. I took a couple of weeks to think about what, what what I wanted to do because it wasn't I wasn't planned to stop and do something else. And and um, the way that I am, I everything everything that I do, I like to do it at hundred percent. So I. I I didn't want to do halfway things. I decided to go to or give a try to coaching. And my first job was a pretty good job. That was with the, form, uh, with the top 10 was Guillermo Coria. I started uh, working as a co-coach at that time in November. And I, I, liked, I, liked, uh, I liked coaching. So I started like, wow, that I, I really like doing this. Uh, it gave me, it gave me that uh, con- still have that competitive mindset 
and uh, helping the players to reach their potential. I, I kind of like that part, helping players, helping the people, helping the... And so I started preparing myself to, to do it. So I did that year with Korea, and then uh, and then I um, I had a... I was a director of his academy as well in Argentina, working with juniors. Then, um, then I moved up to work with Paul Caldery, the Chilean guy, with uh, Carlos Berloc and Argentina, and Fernando Gonzalez. And then I uh, I started with Robbie Chinepri for two years. I I had uh, I coached Dabu, the former top 10, uh, Diego Harfield, many Argentinians. Until uh, in 2008, I received the first call from the UCA. At that time, I was working with Robbie, and, uh, and it wasn't a, a good timing for me. In 2009, I accepted the job at the USCA, and uh, so then, then I decided to come to uh, to states and uh, establish myself here in, in Florida with the family. And well, it went it went pretty well. Uh, I, I mean, developing a lot of good players, working with with a lot of American players, and the last ten years. Let's get to them in a sec. I just want to go back a little bit to your singles career. I have two questions to ask you. One is. You've a lot of experience now, more than most coaches. What would you tell yourself looking back that could have changed things? If there's one thing you could tell yourself that would have made a big difference. One thing was back in the days, I was 14 years old. I was number one, like I mentioned, at some point, one, number one in the world. I lost four matches in the whole year in Europe, States and everywhere. And I started changing many things on my game. I feel that that's, that, that was one of my first mistakes. I spent two years without winning a match. And who told you to change those things? The coach at that time, he was telling me, look, you're not going to, it's not going to happen in the pro tour. And definitely that I should, I should listen to him, but I should like um, be a little bit more as a rebel. Like I say, well, I'm, I'm doing something good here. I mean, if, 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 if I'm not losing a match and I go to Europe, I go play on a hardcore and I'm not losing matches because I have some, some quality that I that need to get better, need to get better, need to... That's one, the first one. The second one is um, on my dream to play ATP and make it on the tour. Without the resources, without enough resources, I was like pushing and and it's, it's not enough. It, it wasn't enough. Um, doesn't matter the effort that you put. If you, if you don't have the resources to do it right, to have everything, you, you have a, a, a full disadvantage. So when I realized that, what I did was um, start finding the resources, start start playing the money tournaments, not travel to the to, to the ATP tour until I have enough money to be okay to go to the right hotel, uh, not not having to sleep on the on the train stations to play the next day because I have no money for to pay the hotel. I mean, many things, you know, like not flying, not couldn't fly to a tournament, so I have to like going by train instead of taking two hours it took 18 hours because you have to change things like that at some point even if you try to be really professional on the other stuff the main the main things are not happening you know i mean i play a challenger i play i play a future before back on the days you play a satellite you have to play three tournaments to to qualify for the master and that's where you get the points it happened that for example i ran out of money on the third week i have to ask for a for a supervisor to pay me uh, the hotel, and then I reimburse on the masters. And from the Thursday after that tournament to until I play on Tuesday, and I receive the wire from the club, I have to eat candies for five days. So basically, 
So basically, eating candies, you know, back in the days, I don't know if the kids right now, they don't know, but back in the days, you arrive at the hotel and you have like a bowl of plenty of candies. And mm. and uh, so I was grabbing the candies. I was eating all the candies until the wire comes and I could pay everything. So those things, I realized that like that, I couldn't make it. So I changed my my approach and I uh, I worry about my tennis, get better on my tennis, get the resources and then really when I was ready, go full on the on the tour. So that's that I did that and it was working. And um and then the other the other stuff is always you want to keep um you want to keep exposing yourself to the best. So that that was my my approach. The thing is that that's what I say. That wasn't a little bit my fault because you don't have the resources. So so instead, for example, go in and, and do four weeks of of uh Playing the qualities of the tour events back on the days, the tour event they didn't have you you they didn't have money on the qualities, they didn't pay your hotel. So going there, expose yourself and losing there requires to pay more versus going to a challenger and for sure you're gonna make quarterfinal. So then um, and and the, the rest the rest uh, is is just worry about I mean focusing on on getting better, which which I. Pretty much that that's how I, I try to do it every time, but nice. And how's the back today? The back is still to play is still good. To play matches, no. <laughs> so I know that I know that if I play two sets with a player right now, uh, the next day it's gonna be like tight. You do like to hit a lot of balls. I see a lot of videos you're hitting balls. You do like to hit a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like to spend time on court with the players. I like the one on one. I feel that that uh the coach has to do that. Um you you understand what 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 you're receiving, how the the your players' ball is coming. Uh, you see their decisions, um, and you and you can move the ball the way that the way that you want them to work. So that's how I, I like to do it as well. So, but I'm, I'm a big believer of a one-on-one training. So I like to spend time with the player alone on the court. Obviously, it's a it's a mix of everything. But yes, I'm I'm playing I'm playing a lot. It's good. So jump forward then to the USTA. That was a good gig that you got and you were working with the best American juniors out there. Was that what was the role to try and make them into great senior players? Basically, my my job was uh trying to develop a top player, a top 20 player, basically. That was that was the goal. So I start I start when I when I took the, that job was around the generation 17, 18 years old was the generation, the 91s, 92s. So Ryan Harrison, Jack Sock, Dennis Kula, that that's the generation, Ryan Williams, Steve Johnson, a little bit older, but Steve Johnson, Ryan Williams, uh, Bradley Glenn. That, that was the kind of college generation, the freshman at college when, when I got in on uh, the UCA. So the Joe was trying to get get the generation there so that that was my first job i was uh i took the job as a lead national coach so my role was not only train the players but oversee the coaches as well training the players working i started with working with men and women so at that time was madison key christina McHale, sloan stevens younger uh, that, that was the generation when i started the job but the women they, they were in a in a very good situation. A lot of young players were, were coming up. And on the men's side, it was a big hole. So I I found myself like working too much with the guys. 
since we needed we needed a lot of work. We needed to get organ, uh, organized in terms of connecting the college, how to get the best college and connecting with the USTA, the best junior, how to organize what I call the filters. So we needed to get to put, I start doing kind of playoff on the young ages to get wilders for, for everything. So like with the mentality of earn every spot. So you, you need a wilder in the challenge. We're going to play a playoff for that. And, and I invited the best, the best eight or the best 16. Right? And we do that. We did, we start doing kind of, we start training them and get the, the playoff. And that's how you kind of create that competitive mindset of, you earn, earn everything that you you get. So that was the first job, and then and then we have the generation in the '95, Mackie McDonald, Spencer Papa, Ty Kwiatkowski, that that generation. And then I took uh, while I was working with the '92s, I was working also. I started getting the I took the the generation the '97s and '98 when they were like 12 and 13. Or Pale Capol, overseas Tiafo that he was in College Park, Taylor Fritz. So all that generation, Alex Ryback or William Blomberg that they, they are in college. So all that generation and start developing that generation that they went pretty well. I spent eight, eight years with Tommy Paul, seven years with Riley Opelka, four years with Taylor Fritz, four years with, with Francis Tiafo. And, and so, so that's a little bit in, term, in general terms. I, uh, then, then on the tour, I spent time with with Sam Query, with with Steve Johnson. So many things happened in the in the start because they were like very dynamic. Uh, so you have to be like, okay, it's the pro at the college and the juniors, and and well, then then uh, on on uh, 2015 we have a great year where we won all the the Grand Slam juniors. So Opelka won Wimbledon, Tommy Paul won French Open final with Taylor Fritz, and then US Open, Taylor Fritz beat Tommy in the final. So we have, we like rocked that, that year with all the American juniors. So yeah, it went, it went pretty, pretty good. And then the last year at the USTA, I was working, I had uh, Zach Svaida and, and, uh, and Brandon Nakashima. So, so I, I had, I had 10, 10, I would say 10 intense and very good year at the UCA. Yeah, you got a lot of good players went through your hands there. And I know you're not in that role anymore, but what do you look for in juniors now that you think can make it? Is there any properties that stand out? Basically, one thing, the first thing that you look when, when you see a junior for me are uh, the weapons. First thing, what, what that, what that player has as a weapon that could could hurt the opponents in on the pro tour. So that's one. Size, but not not uh when I say size, doesn't matter, doesn't matter if it's big or small. There's a correlation. If it's small and slow, that cannot happen. So if it's small, no worries. Is he fast? If he's strong, if he understands the IQ is good, okay. Is tall, okay, has weapons. Because if he's tall and 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 doesn't have the technique to serve, well, it doesn't happen. So has to have a correlation, the side meaning side with all the physicality that they have or the IQ, that's that's what I'm looking as well. Obviously, when they're young, you're looking at the family a little bit because because it's impossible to know a, a kid that is 14. How, uh, for example, in Opelka, when I start working with him and he's 12, how I will know if he's going to be seven, seven feet tall because I look at the family and you can... You can predict that the kid is going to be six eight or six nine at least. So now 
now you you make a plan based on that development. So uh, you decide, okay, the 12 to 15, where the focus is going to be, the 15 to that, and then you get the, the final product. Same with Tom Ball or whoever, whoever you work, you, you, you try to have a big picture of, of what that player is going to look like in 10 years and make a developmental plan based on, on how you can see that player succeed on the Pro Tour. That's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but there's a lot goes into it, doesn't it? From the early age and the sooner they can get into a good system. You know, there's some systems that aren't as good, but where you understand those different things and then you can model a game around what possibly could be. Totally, totally. And then the physiological aspect where where you understand when when they go through the puberty and, and when when are the windows that you have with every player. Every player develops different ways. So you, the windows to develop the strengths are indifferent. So you can you could have a girl that you have a window by the time that she is getting out of the puberty or she's going through a puberty, you you could have a windows where 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 you can you can work on the strength at that time until they don't fill up you is you cannot work mm. full on the strength but definitely going through that process you have certain windows that you can recognize the moment to work on the strength to stop not playing tournaments and and putting some more work there so there's there's um there's a lot of work that goes into it's not just go or hit balls is is the developmental plan is the periodization plan is is this is this thing about about understanding the the physiological aspect to make sure that that like I always say you want when you develop a uh, a world class athlete um, it it doesn't happen just ah oh, wow it's just lucky it happened no you it goes a lot go into into that so you have to make make sure that you go you train them in the limit that they can do every single day. But the limit, the problem with the kids compared to an adult is that you never know tomorrow what the limit is going to be because they're growing. So tomorrow they could show up and say, oh, my knee hurt. That's because they're growing. So what is the limit that day? And what is the limit? The back hurt. And and now um, they cannot play for two weeks. Well, what is the limit while, while they go? The shoulder, they start like, for example, they start hitting the serve bigger. Suddenly they start hitting eight miles per hour bigger. The muscle, they didn't catch up to the speed. So now they, yeah, they serve bigger, but the muscle, they didn't catch up. So if you don't, if you don't follow up with the, with the amount of pitching, right? With the amount of throwing or the amount of serve, you could, you could hurt the shoulder. So now, now you have a player that cannot play for two months because you over serve when when the speed went up, she, he was serving or she was serving better and you never took a you know? Or the hips, same thing. They're growing up. The hips are start like moving and start getting tight. You train hard, the hips are start like suffering and now suddenly you start having problems of uh, stability or lower back because it's the, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk, but, but, but the point is there's much more than just go and hit forehands and backhands. True, no, there's a lot going on. There's a lot you have to look at. it. And I, just quickly on Opelka, he's he's known for, obviously, his big serve. He's known to move really well for the size of him, like really, really well. Did he always move well as a young kid or was it something you spent a lot of work on? Yeah, with, with Riley, uh, one thing that I have to deal a lot is because when, when we did a plan, when I did a plan with Riley at young age, my first thing was 
from 1213 to 16, I have him going side to side, two on one, three on one, two cross one line from the ground. And so the people that were coming said, but he's going to be tall. He should, he should be going servant volley. And I have to explain, in my opinion, to develop a kid like that, he has to learn how to move first because when he's going to be seven feet tall, he's not going to move anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that time, if he doesn't know how to move, he's not going to start moving there because he's going to serve, he's going to play in different tennis. So my point was trying to get him moving and understand all the moves, understand the open stance, how to how to change the step, the frequency of the step, all, the, all those things before 15, 16. Then start going into the servant volley and the transition more specifically. And then obviously the serve is coming, coming that way. But when everything has to be done by 17, 18, by the time that he fills up and that now, now you have a complete game. And yes, he was, he was always moving well, but he, he understood how to move as well. He was, he was getting pissed with me because I was making him play. For example, he was, he was already, you know, like growing up. And he was playing baseline games without serve with Tommy Paul, with Alex Rybakov, with Catalina, all, all the kids that they were like normal size and, uh, and they were moving the ball better from the ground. And I, I, I didn't want him to play with serve. So he was getting so frustrated. But well, it was a, a, a moment where, where I wanted him to understand how to play without the serve because when the serve comes in play, then the rest is going to... It's going to fall into into a place. Good strategy. Good strategy. And tell me, of all those juniors you've had, who was the most competitive? No, I think I think there were there were a lot of uh, all the all the kids. I mean, all the kids that they you see them, they're very competitive. Their own uh, their own situation. It's funny. It was fun to see how when you invited to a two months, three months training and and playoff how the dynamic of the group of 16 players at the time, they were, they were like moving. Uh, you have always five or six that are really competitive that when you invite them, they were like 16, they perform at the best level. You have five or six that they perform at the lowest level. For some reason, they were like, when they were alone or with other kids, they were performing well. As soon as you put it on a really competitive environment, they were like, decrease their performance. And then you have a couple there that they were like fighting depending how he, they were feeling that week or that month. They, were, they weren't consistent. But the, the guys, the funny thing is the guys that they were making, they are like now top 20, top 50, they all perform under those circumstances. So under when they were like 12, 16, all playing together, they always trade the level. They wanted to compete. They wanted to go out there day in and day out. So those guys who are in girls who are most competitive at that young age, they're the guys and girls who broke through now. Yeah. That's interesting. For example, for example, one thing that I always mention with Taylor Fritz at 14, when when Taylor started, when I invited, he arrived in January and playing on clay. He never played on clay. He arrived in January. He was he was playing with, uh, at that time, with the number one in 16. So he arrived. I, I have to change him. I have to change him on a different court because he couldn't keep up with, with this kid. He couldn't keep up. He wasn't, he couldn't move. He couldn't hit the ball. I have to change it. That's the first day. At the end of that month, he was beating the other guy. So that's kind of what you see on kids like that, that they have that skill of, of listening and getting better and, 
adapting to the situation and raise their level. And like that, with, with many of them, that they were like competing and they were okay when they had to expose and, and try to compete on those, on those situations. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. And do you think the tour, the WTA and the ATP tour, when they get to that level then, it raises a bar, people are even more competitive? I think it's a, it's a process. You start there understanding that they're kids and they're going to make some mistake and they're not going to be as professional on certain aspects, but, but they, they know what to do and they're going to do it at the right time. Obviously, when they get to a tour, not in the beginning, but at some point, they get to an ultimate professional, like uh, you mentioned Kevin Anderson, for example. I mean, Kevin Anderson is kind of the ultimate professional. So he tried to do everything possible to perform. Everything that he's in his control to perform. That's what you, I mean, I'm not the only one. I'm, I mentioned that because he's, he's the player that I'm coaching now, but you have players that that's what you want growing up. You want to teach all the things. And when the kid is putting everything together, you it be, they become the ultimate professional, which is that's what you want. They want you want every single thing that can give you the edge on your side. And and that's what you can see, you can see on 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 Leila Fernandez right now, the two girls that are in the in the US Open final, you can see on Felix uh, Auger Aliasim, uh, you can see you can see it on, on Alcaraz. I mean, that's what you want. Some kids, they put it all the dots together before. Everyone has their own time, but that's what you want. You want that aspect to be happening slowly at young age. And they need to understand that as well, that they have to do that. Everything has to be by understanding. If they don't understand, I don't believe that the kid can say it because the coach told them to do it. I mean, they have, it has to be an understanding why, why you have to do it. And then the next progression is put them on that situation. You need to do this, 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 because it's going to help you to perform like that. And then go to the tournaments and go and, and show them. You see that that's happened. That's happened. You lost this match or you won this match because you prepare or not prepare that way. And try to have that connection for them to understand. And then that ultimate professional, because they, most of the kids, they want to perform well at, at that level. So they... They start understanding and they start like going that way. Yeah, making the right decisions. And you did your work in the USTA, you did a great job there. And then you decided, okay, I'm going to do my own thing now. How did that start off? And did you work with Kevin straight away? Was he the first guy you worked with? or? So the first person who, who called me was um, actually Ayla Tomiano. So she was the first one. And then because, because Kevin didn't know that I was uh, available, um, after many years, but then, then yeah, I, we started working at the end of uh, 2019, and um, yeah, so so uh, that that was almost almost right away. Yes, I mean the first one, I I, I we did a preseason with Ayla as well, so Kevin and Ayla, uh, that preseason 2019, and and uh, and couple of juniors. Nice, and you're still you're still doing a bit of work with Ayla now. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I'm I'm helping. Yeah, and now now I'm I'm working with Kevin as a, the the priority, and I'm doing some work with with uh, Sloan uh, and with Isla as well for this year, and and uh, working with two juniors. What's it like working with, as you said, somebody like Kevin who ticks all the boxes, does every, everything he can control? What's it like working with an athlete like that? Well, it's a pleasure, but it's a pleasure and it's a responsibility because it's a pleasure in terms of you only focus on how to get him better. How, how, how as a coach, you can give him that because obviously he has two Grand Slam finals, uh, seven titles. There's, there's not many things that he doesn't know. So you, you need to find the, the way to give him that two, three, four things that, that can make him even better playing. And it's a responsibility because you cannot let him pass anything. He's not gonna, he's you you can feel if you if you're not experienced, you can feel that they're gonna be on you all the time because they they're such a professional and they 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 think that way that they're gonna look for you to give them that edge. Not you cannot let that pass. You cannot be on one practice or one second of the practice. You cannot be out of focus. So in every second, the practice starts and you have to be prepared and you have to be helping and, 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 and looking at every single move. So um, that I learned that from many years ago with Jose Guedes. We always talk and, and he always told me uh, after three weeks of full training with a, with a professional like that, his mind was the the player's mind was done because he couldn't take any more information. But the coach's mind, his mind, he say it was done as well. That that's why he couldn't he couldn't train Jim Courier three more than three weeks at the time. It was three weeks, one week off, three weeks or a couple of weeks of tournament because because it's such intensity on terms of details and and training and intensity on what you try to do to accomplish. That that it requires to be on the player like it, on and on and on, and uh, so after three weeks, it's, it's tough. The player doesn't want any more information. He cannot process any more information. So that that's the level of intensity that that and 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 you don't you don't see that only in tennis. All the all the elite athletes they mention that about their coaching situation as well. Uh, the the main the main uh, the top the top athletes they mentioned that they the, that yeah. relation with the coaches and and the professionalism of of the training that requires to to be on, at that level. You need to have the answers because you often hear about them that those players at that level ask questions. Why am I doing this? And you got to know what you're doing at the end of the day. Or yes, yes, and and no because I'm a coach. I don't know all the answers. But yes, uh, you have to have the preparation to at least try to find the answers. Or if you don't have the answer, be able to look for somebody that could give the answer. So that, that's what is important. Sometimes sometimes uh, people think ah, the coach has know everything. No, the coach doesn't know everything. But the coach has to be open that if something doesn't know, look for somebody that can know that and 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 boom, and bring it, bring that information and try to resolve the, the, the those, those things. So uh, that's what is important and, and that's what they come with the preparation, the coach preparation and, and the opening of trying to get the athletes about the athletes. It's not about 
the coaching or somebody else. It's about how how I can maximize or help that athlete. Nice. And I know Kevin's had his issues with injuries over the past few years. What's it like for a coach on your side? You know, working with a player who's injured where your player wants to be out competing, you want to see them out competing and where it can get hard between doing the gym exercises or maybe there's no exercise being done at all. How difficult is it for a coach? Uh, same thing. Uh, many many steps that has to go first. First, you're understanding where he the player is at at that moment, and what are the weakness go, moving through uh, for his game. For what are the the so for example, he has a knee uh, surgery when we start, and then he has another knee surgery. So you start first, have a full scan of his body. Because those, the knee could have the only the knee problem, but usually coming from somebody, something else. Could be the the hip, could be the the muscles, could be the whatever it is. So you need to identify that and then go to a plan of injury prevention. So before that happens, you have to be ahead of the curve. That's one. The second one that is important is find the periodization. So every athlete has could have a periodization. So it's really need for that athlete to work twice per day, every day for six days a week and only have one day off. Some, yes, some other athletes, maybe they need to work for a period of time once a a day. Some athletes, they go, for example, um, they need need two, two full practices and then a day off, and then another two, three days. And you, you need to identify what the periodization is optimal for that athlete. And then, then you, need, you need to identify the workload, what the workload looks like for that specific athlete. So if he, we need to work, so on the, on the developmental plan, is, is he explosive? So you need to work on endurance, uh, is endurance, you need to work more uh, explosive, you need to do more um, speed work, which is um, uh, all, the, all the jumping and, and sprinting. So what, it, what the, the workload looks like? So when you put it all, all together, and now, now you go to the last part, how many tournaments, how many matches? Because if we overplay, we get injured. If we underplay, we don't have enough confidence. So you need to match kind of that. And then you have the, and then you have a little bit the result. The last thing is be open to change things as you go and see until you have the, the athlete that is not is not suffering the injuries anymore and he start playing and playing and playing more often and start performing. And that takes time because after that is the, the last thing is the, the confidence. Then you need to build up the confidence uh, with all these things already in, in place. I don't know if it makes sense. It does, it does. It's like you're back there now, though, because he's confident now. Newport he won. Did he win Newport? Won well, Newport, uh, yeah. qualify, qualifying Cincinnati and lost, and then uh, he won first round. So it's, it's much start coming off, start playing better, still in, inconsistent, uh, but... but but now he's healthy and he's playing and I touch wood, but but I hope I hope that keep going. I think we are in a in a in a good path. I hope I hope to stay like Yeah, the confidence is sl- slowly starting to build again and the damage will be done again. Hopefully, yeah. So what what's the plan for you for the for the rest of this year? I know you say you're working with Sloan Stevens also. Uh, you've a couple of juniors there and you have your academy. Tell us a bit about your academy. So I'm a, I have a program that started this year same thing small small because i i like like i say i like the one-on-one 
I like to be able to handle all the players, have the developmental plan of all the players, handle the periodization myself with the help of coaches. So, uh, so I'm here at Mission Bay in Boca Raton. It's fun because it's something that I always, always even working with the pros, I, I like to develop the players. I, it's fun for me to kind of have the players at 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, 16. I, I, I really have fun with that. And I always say to be, um, there are a couple of things to be prepared. You need to, the preparation, you need to read, you need to uh, go there and look for information, but there's no better information than be on court and, and players and, and, and identify every player separately and how to help that player and what is the best and, and talking with the strength conditioning and talking with the physios and talking with other coaches. So what do you think, how, how we do that? And I feel, I feel that that's a, uh, that's fun. That's fun. That's uh, I will always keep learning from from each. It's, a, it's kind of a you feel from each player that you work with. You feel yourself like that. That's how you get better. And and if you have in the team, you have another coach or a, you have a strength conditioning or a physio. You learn you learn different things all the time. So every day you go, you give them the you give them the information, but you receive a lot of feedback, and that that's what is important. So I like I like to do that. It's fun. I'll require a lot of work sometimes. Sometimes I come home and I'm <laughs> tired. I'm done. I have I have time for one beer and and then and then done go to bed. But but again, it's 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 fun. It's fun when I see the 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 players uh the players compete and reach their their potential is is uh it's fun. It's fun. And how do you man? You say you come home. You're t- you know after taking in everything, it can be quite taxing. You have your beer, but you have a family as well. You have two kids. Is it? I have two kids, uh, 19 years old and uh, 16 years old, and my wife. So yeah, yeah, it's it's um, something that this year it didn't happen was try to take some more time off. Really, really, I was uh, I'm traveling and, and when I'm home, I'm I'm like this year was like, crazy, but uh, but yeah, I try to I try to manage that the way that that I have a life as well. I can have a life. Sometimes some years or some moments they're like more extra busy but but this is something that i try to maintain maintain a, a life balance as well and did i read somewhere you like to do triathlons yes i'm uh i'm actually entering an ironman in november 7th this this year i was doing i did already a half and this year i was planning to do a full but the problem is at the time same thing i mean i can i cannot be training six seven hours per day when when i have uh, three players on in town, you know. So it's like play be be eight hours on court plus six hours of uh, hundred miles and and four miles running, um, hundred miles biking and four miles running. That doesn't happen. So I, I need I, something something I have to I have to balance something. Yeah, it's a tough job balance it all. But good to see you like to. How do you find the training compared to the tennis training, the Ironman training? I mean, there's many things that. I like uh, so I like the, the the first thing that that I like the most and is related to the tennis and I try to pass that is the fact that you competing with yourself you want to get better than you were like a month ago so you you try you try to find ways to get yourself better before competing with the others I mean that that's I, I like that and and that mentality of of you getting better in tennis, I think is important, and I try to pass that to the kids. That's one, and then and then uh, all the things. I mean, the 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 suffering things. 
I mean, I, I feel I feel that I feel that that part of going through the struggle and and find ways to to stay physically and try to perform that I think that that has a correlation with tennis, you know. That I like I like that. And lastly, you learn things about or you trying different things about nutrition and things like that 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 you then then you can like kind of say okay well, let, let's try this because uh when i try that running and uh, not 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 the training because the training itself is i mean running running for 26 miles doesn't is not very like it's not similar to tennis though or, or biking 100 miles but but they're going through that that stage of struggling that that yes yeah, yes. Finding ways to stay there and focus and try to try to uh, perform at your best. That yes. Yeah, then you can bring those learnings. You're suffering. You can bring onto the court with you and tell the guys you're not suffering enough. <laughs> Exactly. 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 Yeah. But no, Diego, thank you very much. Uh, that was really interesting. And I hope Kevin, you know, the results keep coming and I hope you keep busy and I hope you do that arm man. I'll be if I ever see I'm gonna ask if you did it. So I hope, I hope. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I don't know if this year on November seventh, but at least I end it. Yeah. So hopefully I can do it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thank you and thank you thanks again for having me. It was really fun. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Really love Diego's energy, his enthusiasm and his love of the game. I'll be back next week. And until then, get out there, hit some tennis balls, enjoy it. Goodbye. Goodbye.